0: Father, we come to you this morning. We acknowledge that you are holy and that you are worthy. We want to see you more clearly this morning. We want your spirit to work in our hearts and minds to convict, to challenge, to comfort, to give us what we need today. I do pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, and above all, they bring you glory and honor. I do ask that you would burn away, remove anything that doesn't do that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It is so good to see each and every one of you. If you're here in person or you're joining us online, I know we got a few people sick and we're we're in a season right now. And I'm glad you're hanging in there, and you're here, or you're connected with us. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've already had a message. My heart is already full. Thanks to Andrea and Matt and the rest of the team for leading us in worship this morning. But I have more to say, and we're going to dig into God's Word together this morning. We're in this series called Encountering Jesus. We believe that when we encounter Jesus, things can change. We've looked at uh, some folks who have really encountered Jesus for the first time. We've looked at Nathaniel. We've looked at the Samaritan woman. We've looked at Nicodemus. And now we're going to have this encounter between Jesus and two of his friends. They already know him. And I believe there's a lot to learn this morning. Today, two wealthy women from the suburbs of Jerusalem will have an encounter with Jesus. Here we go. Let's dive in. I want to take you to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Open up your Bibles, turn on your device, or look up on the screen. Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way... But few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let me give you some context and make a few observations. First of all, we're in the suburb of Jerusalem. We're in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus. We'll do a little bit of work in John 11. We know in John 12 that this is the Mary that will pour a year's worth salary of perfume, of nard, on Jesus's head as he is preparing to go to the cross. This particular passage follows Jesus's teaching on the Good Samaritan. We observe that we have two sisters Martha and Mary. Martha, the older sister, doing the traditional, let me take care of the house and the kitchen. Let me prepare the meal. Let me get the house ready. Let me do the traditional hospitality. Mary, the younger sister, is sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to Jesus. Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher, Mary sitting at his feet, As a disciple, this in and of itself is a radical move. Back in the day, traditional Jewish culture, this did not happen. I love the way Jesus breaks down cultural barriers and teaches. Jesus breaking convention not only defends, but champions her place as a learner, a disciple. He refuses to order her back to the kitchen. Mary is welcome, not just as a worker, but as a learner, as a disciple. She belongs listening to Jesus. As Jesus is building and training his team for the future, I want you to picture that for a minute. Think of all those he has recruited to carry forward his message. We have rich, we have poor, insiders and outsiders, men and women, all on the same mission to follow Jesus and share the gospel. Now, as we look at this story, and I know some of you, if you've been in church for a minute, you know the story of Mary and Martha. This is familiar to you. Others, it might be might be brand new to you. On the surface, we can see Mary and Martha, and we see a couple different personalities. We might see Martha as the the detail-oriented, I'm the one who's got to get things done, and Mary is the more contemplative person, the more relational one. And sometimes we tend to look at this story in a relational personality deal. Like, are you a Mary or a Martha? That's fine, I'm not knocking that approach. That's not what I am about today. I care about you too much because I think there is a deeper, more challenging message than simply saying some of you are Mary's and some of you are Martha's and let's be a little bit more Because I believe this is a story about priorities, about what matters most. I want you to look closely at Mary's or Martha's complaint. I want to take you back to verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care about the situation I'm in, the plight that I'm in? Have you ever thought that or asked that? Jesus, don't you care? Don't you really see my plight? Jesus, don't you care? We can look at it from our vantage point and say, the audacity of Martha to ask that question. <laughs> don't you care? I mean, it, it conjures up an image to me of Jesus in the boat with the disciples, and the storm comes up, and where's Jesus? Jesus is asleep, and they wake him up, and they say, don't you care? So there's a charge against Jesus. Don't you care about me in my plate. You don't really care. You don't really want to intervene in the way that I want you to. Now, can you identify with that? Jesus, intervene in the way that I want you. If you parented or led anybody or had anybody... Under you, you've probably received that charge. This isn't fair. Take care of it. Do something about it. Now, how does Jesus respond? Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. There is a gentle tone in Jesus' voice. Martha. Martha. You're worried about the many things. You're worried about the dinner. You're worried about the house. You're worried that you'll look bad, that you won't represent your family well. Now, This seems like it's a little domestic deal, a little conflict, and it is, but there is a lot going on underneath. And let's dig a little bit into that. What is underneath Martha's response? And what does Jesus have to say to her? Jesus always will have the conversation that we need to have. As I've said a few times, it's not always the ones... We want to have it's the ones that we need you see Martha your sister has made the better choice you have gone for the many things and you are anxious and you are worried your sister has chosen the better and it will not be taken from her The better choice is to sit at the feet of Jesus. I believe today each one of us is in that position to make a choice. Will you be consumed by the many things or will you sit at the feet of Jesus? Now I'm going to make this a little bit more concrete. We've had some time in our service to reflect, to worship, now, I want to dig in and do a little diagnostic, a little heart check. Okay, I want to give you some signs that you may be settling for the many. You don't have to write these down, they're in the app, they're in the discussion questions. If one in particular stands out, you might want to write it down. I have 12. I showed them to my mom yesterday and she pointed to number four and said, that's you. I said, I know. (laughs) I've done more than those. So I'm passing on the gift to you. Warning signs that you're settling for the many. Number one, your joy is dependent upon results and recognition. Just let that sit a minute. Your joy... Nothing wrong with results and recognition, but is your joy connected to that? Number two, you've reduced your experience with God to something on your to-do list. I'm going to go through these quickly. Number three, you believe that your time with God in prayer, Bible study, and community with others now, this is a harsh statement, is an inefficient allocation of resources? As you remember, I won't mention the politician's name, but there was a politician and writer, and I remember an interview several years ago, and he said, "I don't go to church because I think it's an inefficient allocation of my time." OK? Um, here's number four: You're too busy to eat, right, exercise and get the sleep that you need. You often feel underappreciated. You secretly resent the success of others. You resent those who don't work as hard as you. Some of you walked in this morning like, where are all those lazy people that didn't come church day? (laughs) I didn't think that at all. So if you're listening at home, I love you dearly. I'm so thankful that you're here. Some of these others need a little more of the spirit. Your prayers are more reactive to personal circumstances than proactive for God's kingdom to grow. You rarely think about eternity and wonder if heaven will be boring. You have a habit. Notice the word habit. That's a pattern, not an occasional deal, but a habit of binge-watching or listening to shows, news, podcasts, and sports. You have difficulty putting your phone away even at night. The first thing you do in the morning and the last thing you do at night is check your phone. Am I getting anybody yet? Number 12, you have a bad habit that you know you need to stop, but you can't. I would go a step further. You have a sinful habit. Whether it's an addiction to pornography or prescription medicine, you have a sinful habit and you have something that you are using to fill the void. Now, some of you this morning, it's kind of like you go to the doctor and you may say, hey, I need... I need a few things I need to work on. Others, you may need to go right to the ER right now because there's something in there that says, I I am in trouble right now. I I have a level of depression, of anxiety, addiction, and I need help today. Okay, if that's you, don't walk out of here without talking to somebody. That's a first step. That's a first step. Talk to somebody. We have people that can listen, can help get you connected, whatever you need. So I've given you the diagnosis. If none of those bothered you at all, maybe you can talk to somebody, maybe the person next to you and help them. But now what do you do about it? How do you change? I believe there are three ways that we can change and how we can live at the feet of Jesus. The first point, what you believe about Jesus is better. What you believe about Jesus is better. Let's dig a little deeper into Jesus's response to Martha. The ESV translates uh, Luke 10 42 this way, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This word good portion Alternatively translated, main course, the good part. This word means the good part, the good portion. Mary actually believes that time with Jesus is better. But there's the good portion, the good part. And you do a little word study. You go to the old King James version of Colossians 1.12, you are a partaker of a great inheritance. That good part, you are a partaker of an inheritance. You have a part, you have a share in God's big story, past, present, and future. There are echoes in this word inheritance of going back to the Old Testament and the promised land and God working through the Jewish people and, and Abraham, Isaac, and the whole big story that you're invited to be a part of. Colossians 1:12 through 14, I want to read you the, the message version of this. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy, thinking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part, there's that word, in everything bright and beautiful, that he has for us. What we believe about Jesus matters. Are you on a course where the more you learn, the more you understand about Jesus, the more compelling, the more attractive, the more beautiful, the more helpful, the more real he is? Or are you just kind of spinning your wheels. Ephesians 1, 12 through 14 invites us into a present reality. It says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you believe, when you say you put your faith, your trust in Jesus, you believe that the gospel is true, that Jesus came and he defeated the power of sin and death and rescued you because you believe in him. When you believe that, you receive the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee, a seal, an ironclad promise that says you belong forever. Now, I've got one more future promise for you. So pleased to have Pastor Dean teach in a class on Revelation. I was led to Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice. This is John. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you believe that promise to be true? Is there something in you that wells up where you envision that day? We all have a film of our lives, right? We can rewind things and we can look in the rear view and we can say, oh my goodness, Jesus... Pick me up. Jesus saved me here. Jesus led me here. Jesus took the mess that I made and brought me nearer to him. We have a present and we have a future. Some of us, we have worry and anxiety because that future of the film is just blank. We don't know. Jesus fills that in for us. He said, I will wipe away every tear. That's a wonderful promise, my friends. We've been singing like some older songs, and I'm reminded of uh, Amazing Grace. If you've been in church for a while and you've sung that song, you know the last verse. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first gone. It's the promise. That's the film. That's there. Now, let's talk about what you experience with Jesus is better. I want to give you another story, and I'm going to abbreviate it for you. In John 11, you can look up the text on yourself. I, for yourself, I won't. I won't put it in there. But uh, Lazarus. Has died, The brother of Mary and Martha. And they're all friends. They all love each other. Lazarus has died. Jesus will go there. By the time he arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Martha and Mary are both there. Martha will approach Jesus first. And she will say, Jesus, if you had been there, you would still be alive. Jesus responds to her, and he says this. Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. What does Jesus give Martha? Truth. Truth. In the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of the death of her brother, Jesus ministers to her with truth. Now Mary will come along and Mary will ask the same question or make the same statement. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died drew the same conclusion as her sister, but this is Jesus' response. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Now, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he's weeping. He is mourning with Mary, with the family. Now, if I knew I had that power to heal somebody, and I knew that I was going to raise somebody from the dead, I'm not sure I would be weeping. Why does he weep? What does he give to Mary? He gives his tears. He gives his tears. He gives Martha truth, he's going to give Mary tears. He experiences, he connects, he empathizes with her, with the family. Tears. Jesus gives both truth and tears. Son of God, fully God, and fully man. Able to empathize, connect with what they're going through. What Jesus also does in these moments, in his weeping, says this in verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. He is deeply moved. Some some translations or some commentators say he is angry. He is angry at the pain of sin and death. He is troubled. He is angered by that because he can experience what his friends are going through. We don't have just a distant God. He is with us. He is with you. That's a picture, that's an experience of God that matters. Jesus will go on. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Martha would notice that. Or as the King James says, his body stinketh. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. What is your experience of Jesus? What do you need? Jesus gives us truth. And in that truth is the power that says he is the son of God. Is there anything God cannot do? He is the creator of the universe. There is nothing he cannot do when we sing about his holiness, his glory, all that is absolutely 100% true. And he understands your tears. Everything on that list, while he didn't commit sin, he can feel the pain that you're experiencing. He can identify with that. He is present with you in that. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, and ready to give you today exactly what you need. If it's truth, it's truth. If it's tears, it's tears. Jesus is with you today. Now... I believe that the more that we understand who Jesus is, the more that our belief about him continues to grow, the more that we can actually experience his presence, not just in a distant way, but in here, in the middle of the night, whatever you're going through, that he is present. He gets it. What a God we serve! What a God we serve. Now, when we really get that, we really get that, we really experience it. We can't help but share. Now, we're in a time right now where the world is messed up, but I got a newsflash for you. It's always been messed up. And people that probably aren't here, or maybe this is you, or maybe you have friends who will say, I don't really believe this. I have questions. I have some things that are keeping me from believing. I know people like that. I believe you do too. We do have an opportunity here in a couple weeks called Starting Point that we're going to start that conversation. All the details are in your bulletin. But I I don't do this just as a closing announcement. This could be an action step for you, for somebody you know, to take that step into a conversation with Jesus. Now, I want to invite us to pray. I want you to close your eyes. Giving you a lot to think about, a lot of scriptures, a, a picture of who Jesus is, some opportunities to let the Holy Spirit work. So let's pray. Father, Thank you for my friends who are here today. We simply ask that your word would bring conviction, would bring comfort, would bring healing today, that you would draw us nearer to you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.